When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I am here with a very, very tired Nick. Yeah, I'm a little a little tired, a little grouchy, but I'm here. But do you feel better? That's the big deal. We were talking oh, yeah. about how you how you were sick and during the last show. I just want to make sure you're feeling okay. I feel great. I had COVID again, for those of you that don't know, and it was the second time, and I can honestly tell you it was the exact same as the first time. It felt like a, uh exaggerated sinus cold to me. I don't get horribly sick out of it. My wife did. She had a real rough go of it, but she's fine now. Well, we're glad you're feeling better, and I'm sure that everybody's glad that you're back. Well, I hope so. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> Rob was very nervous that he was going to mess up the role of Nick. There is no role of Nick, and I don't think that uh, I don't think that Rob messed it up. I think he did just fine. Well, I think he did too. But you know, everybody gets nervous trying to fill those big shoes. Hey, listen, I'm sorry. The Lord gave me a size 15. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, and we're going to move right into the show, minimize our banter today because we're moving right along. We both have very tight schedules, but this week it's a little more taboo talk when we discuss this in sustainability. And I know how you love to dance down the line of, of taboo. I want to talk about how poverty and sustainability either are either work together or against each other. Because that's one of the things that a lot of people don't connect is that it's hard to have a, a strong, sustainable, long-term modern society with high poverty. I think that there's a lot of aspects of that that are that are hard to connect. But a lot of it, to be honest, is that poverty is a hush-hush topic, like true poverty. You know, people think about homelessness and they're like, oh, we need to raise money to help them. But like at the end of the day, they'd rather not see them in their in their day-to-day life. They'd rather be not be reminded that there are people that are really, really bad off right now and that are struggling and that are hurt hurting and 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 it sounds crappy, but it's 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 not it doesn't make you a terrible person. It's just like do you when there's really bad things in the world and you're constantly reminded of it, suffering and sadness and stuff, you either do something about it or you go on and ignore it. And a lot of people don't do the first. There's a lot of global poverty. Now, I took some global numbers and some separate U.S. numbers, but just global. And I was pretty surprised to find out what poverty meant. There is extreme poverty is anyone living on a dollar dollar ninety a day. Mm-hmm. is that number which at least in the united states it's really kind of hard to fathom that someone's living on under a dollar 90 today but there's 689 million people on this planet almost 10 percent of the people on this planet living under that number well i think that the it's hard to discuss globally because the the economic situation and varies country to country and what we constitute as a dollar a day is based on our our money versus other nations that are poorer but 
have less uh, infrastructure and stuff. And I'm sure some of that has to do with it. I'm sure some, a lot of those people come from nations that have poor infrastructure and stuff like that, because it, I would assume that if, if there's that many people that are impoverished, uh, that they probably are missing a lot of basic necessities in life. I know I, I take a lot of heat when I say this, but up to a certain point, industrialization which is not great for long-term sustainability, is great for pulling those poverty numbers out. It creates those jobs. It increases the income. Now, is it ideal? Probably not. But it is how it works. So when China started to become an industrial powerhouse, a lot of the impoverished people in China ended up with jobs and moved out of there. But And for most of human society, the amount of people who are impoverished has shrunk until last year. Last year, the amount of people impoverished actually went up. It actually got worse. So that's something we should know about globally. And it being uh, 9.2, nearly 10% of population in the United States, it's just over 14%. We actually have more in percentage to our population that are impoverished than, than many other places. I'm I'm not surprised. Um, I didn't know that statistic, but it doesn't 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 shock me as much as it makes me sad. It, there's there's a lot of a lot of people that are living uh, in the state of poverty. Uh, when you get closer to really big cities, obviously because there's more people in one place, that statistically the number is going to go up. But also, yeah, I want to I want to clue this in is that it, it makes sense that there are more homeless people and more people that can't afford to the basic necessities of life in big cities because those are where most of the programs reside that can facilitate their way of life and what they're currently regulated to. And also, and I'm going to say this, there's a huge mental health problem in this country, and that needs to be addressed. Not today, but it does need to be addressed. Yeah, mental health is a root cause problem that we kind of got away from in the 80s. We quit funding we quit funding mental health and started funding prisons more here in the United States. Because if I remember correctly, the United States has more people in prison than the rest of the world combined. Well, most, the most, most, most likely. But you got to figure, like, I'd be interested to see on a, on a list, because I, I'm not intelligent enough to know the answer, where the United States sits as far as... Um, population size like i understand that we're not nearly the biggest country but when it comes to countries with the biggest populations i'd like to think we're probably in the top five or ten i mean 330 million people is a lot of people right right and and thinking that nearly 15 percent of them are going to live at a rate of under a dollar 90 a day is just mind-boggling to me so out of curiosity, do people in prison count, count as that statistic since they don't actually have – they're taken care of. I mean they have three hots and a cot. They get fed and stuff, but they don't really have money. They don't really have the ability to go out and shop and, and, and get a, a lot of them don't you know have a job and stuff. So is that counted in that number? I don't believe so actually. And I thought of that the moment I talked about us having more people in prison than the rest of the world together. Um, it is something I'll have to look up and see because – I don't believe that fits into that category, but it could, and it could inflate that number. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you got to figure what is the current you know, best guess for the population here? 330 million, give or take. Mm-hmm. Right, so. right. So when it comes to sustainability, poverty has a lot of different effects, not just on the people, but on the land. Usually, in most cases, poverty 
puts people, uh, pulls them away from general society, pulls them away from where everybody else is at, puts them on the least appealing pieces of property, puts them on the usually most polluted, most damaged pieces of property. And in, in my experience, even if it wasn't the most damaged, it becomes the most damaged because that's where they're going to put facilities that can cause more grief to the surrounding area. They're not putting that in the rich areas. They're going to put it in these impoverished areas, Mm -hmm. which accelerates a lot of issues. You know, because we live next to Flint, Michigan. We've had automakers there forever. The, The amount of property. Now, granted, some of that poverty happened when they left, but there was damage to a lot of the properties. There was issues there. So... I'm glad you brought up Flint. A friend of mine on Facebook, not someone I actually know in real life, just someone I friended over the years. They, we have a bunch of mutual friends. Posted a picture from her apartment complex in 2011. And then she posted the same picture from the same perspective now. And the entire apartment complex is boarded up and it's no longer livable. Mm-hmm. And it's a large complex. I mean, I mean, you, you know, the, the kind of apartment complexes we're talking about in flint where it's like 500 acres just by like eight nine buildings like it's a big area there's a lot Mm -hmm. of a lot of housing there that's just sitting there vacant because some of it probably isn't livable and so the whole thing has been shut down sold condemned however it goes the only reason i bring that up is it would make sense in my head to take those areas and fund them to be renovated to be functional to provide low, true low income housing, not government subsidized housing, not like we're talking like bare minimum, like whatever it takes to keep the place functioning and, and viable for people that can't afford the, the people that can't have a job. There are so many people that are that are poverty stricken because they're stuck in between a weird limbo where, you know, they, they're too hurt to work, but not hurt enough to be qualified for disability or their education isn't what it should have been. So they literally have no idea on how to use the tools they do have to take steps to get assistance. And, and there's so many capacities where we're failing our people that it's it's sad. And, and one of the other things that drives me crazy, and I didn't know this until this year, but like all all low income housing is generally either A, put in the worst parts of ghettos and cities, or B, shoved in the corner of communities where no one has to look at it. So like homeless people, out of sight, out of mind, it gets forgotten because people don't want it to influence or affect their you know, their their home's value, the, the, their mortgage, blah, 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 their equity. Um, I, I have a big issue with that whole thing. So I'll try to skim over it nicely about how absurd I think the credit system in this country is and the whole equity thing about houses. It's ridiculous. And by the way, I just think that uh, it's 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 a shame. You know, Flint, Flint, the city of Flint, like city limits is, is good sized. The township of Flint is huge. As far as I'm concerned, it's a mm-hmm. huge compared to other big cities. No, not really. But I mean, it, it's, it's a large city that used to hold mil, over a million people and now barely scratches a hundred thousand mark. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it, it has so much empty space because there's just, there's no work there. So there's no people there. Well, so first things first, I'm going to go back to your original comment about the turning those facilities into a livable space. The problem that we have with accommodating that or accomplishing that is it either A, has to be profitable, which means those subsidized rents and all that stuff. So the federal government pays those rents to a commercial company to maintain Mm -hmm. the housing. I can tell you from personal experience and people I know that are in those type facilities, they are the least maintained 
and roughest facilities. Bare minimum kind of thing. They take that money and they do very little to them. It is a usually a, a, a negative environment. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of commercial companies when they deal with poverty because it's almost always exploitation. So the other option is going against all the political buzzwords because the only other option is government housing. And you've heard me talk about taking every mall in America and switching them over to this kind of place. Mm -hmm. But that is the, that is the more realistic option is that you have a government run facility, kind of like the VA, if you will, where you have this housing, you can have your services in the same building. So your mental health services, the DMV, whatever you need for the residents there. And you don't hide it. You make it a nice building. You make it an appealing building. And you put it with the rest of society. Because part of the problem is we love that segregation of classes. Mm-hmm. And you, if you don't integrate people, they don't feel integrated. <laughs> you know, So it's that wrong side of the tracks mentality that we have where even our infrastructure divides people. We have to end that for long-term sustainability. So when you talk about turning those buildings back over, it either has to be profitable, which we know is exploitation in most cases, or the federal government or and or state have to use their funding to create a safe place that is nice, accommodating, not demeaning, because most things we do with poverty is very demeaning and very minimal. And then you have to deal with the people who say, why are we spending all that money on people who don't have any money? You see that you're right. And and part of the, the part that frustrates me the most about that is that the the overwhelming stigma with that mentality, people see a homeless person. And I, I've encountered this so many times in my life. You're driving down the road, you come to a corner, there's a guy standing there having he's holding a sign, or it's a lady holding the sign, a group of people. Maybe you're in a, a bad area. And when I say bad, I don't mean dangerous, I just mean like high in poverty where there's multiple people and the person you're riding with if you're not driving rolls up the windows and locks the doors like don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not trying to chastise people for not just giving their money away i'm not i'm not that but i mean like it's not you're not in danger just because someone is from a different part of you know life than you they're at a different part of their life they're going through something really hard and difficult it doesn't mean that you have to be worried about your safety there is a huge stigma with the like what i would call the the ignorance of life where if you don't know something you assume the worst and i know i for a long time for a lot of episodes in the first couple of seasons i was like people fear what they don't understand but it's still true thank you stan lee it it's gonna, sad man i want to interrupt you real quick because that reminds me because i work with flint i work with the schools i i spend a lot of time with stemnetics working in some of the least served areas it is very hard very hard to get people to instruct or support the instructors in some of our locations purely because of the location. And I go to those, and as you become part of that community, because it is kind of a closed community at first, they've been told terrible things, they've been treated poorly, it takes a few minutes before you've gained trust. But once you have, like you are there, you are part of their tribe, and they treat you better than even, I get treated sometimes even here at home, (laughs) you know? I. I yeah, I'm not surprised. People okay, so people by nature are tribal. We are. We we're you can wrap us in any kind of bow you want and you can preach all the stuff about psychology and all and, and whatever say whatever you want, but at the end of the day we're still animals. And it's normal to have a, a, a primitive fear about things that are outside of your, your realm of comfort. 
Now, we're also intelligent and sentient beings where if we can realize and say, hey, this makes me uncomfortable, then you walk up to it and shake its hand anyways. Now, I only say that because I used to be that person. I used to be terrified of going into Flint. And we're talking a long time ago, mind you, but I was terrified of going into Flint. Not because of anything concrete or anything that ever happened to me from a first person, like firsthand perspective, but because it was different and it was so, so removed from my day to day life that I didn't know how to act or what I could or couldn't say or if my behavior was going to be deemed unacceptable and I'd, I'd get in trouble. And I didn't know what to think because I didn't know anything. And then when I, I, I started you know, spending more time in Flint and the same, same exact thing for Saginaw. They, I mean, really the only thing different about the two places is the name. They're people like anywhere, like anywhere else. They're, they're just people. And yeah, a lot of them have had harder lives. And so they're a little rough around the edges. So they might not trust like as freely and as, and open as the average person would, but, but when they decide to, it's, it's more genuine. It, it means more, at least to me, it does. You know, I, I can, meet 25 people that live near me in the course of a week and they'll be your best friend one day. And then the next day they, they could be running you into the ground or, or doing something to screw you over. And, and to them, it's just, eh, you know, whatever. And they, they don't have a, a sense of uh, personal accountability as to where some of these other people, you know, you meet them and, and when they've had harder lives, they're more appreciative of good things. And maybe they, they don't accept it when, it's provided or, or when it's presented to them because they think they're, they're looking for the bait and switch, looking for that hook, like, you know, Ooh, something shiny, but then you, they bite down and then something bad they're waiting because the government's been doing it to them for 30, 40 years. And there's generations of people out there that have never really had actual hand, like, like actual hand up, like, Hey, you know, your life's been hard. We're really sorry. Let's, let's try to change that. It's always, we're going to fix one leg of the chair and knock the other one out with a hammer. And it's it's hard to, to establish yourself in those communities because they're not overly open. But when you do, when you when you realize and they realize you're not there to hurt them, they're just beautiful people. And it, it doesn't really matter, you know, where we're talking about. We say Flint because this is where we're at. Yeah, we but, create environments that people it doesn't matter where you're at you always have some level of self-defense and i know that the show is kind of trailing back into flint because that's primarily our experience and it's something that most of the u.s knows of but and you're right flint is not by is not the worst city you know it is absolutely not the worst city and we even have cities that have some of the same challenges right here in the state that just don't get the marketing of the negative as much as Flint. But this goes all over the United States. When you separate people into different groups and different classes, that's one thing that is not a long-term sustainable solution to a good society. It's a long-term sustainable solution to having class tiers. It's perfect for class tiers because all you do is get the ones just above them to hate the ones below them, and no one ever looks up. That works really, really well for that structure. But unfortunately, that that game, that design for capitalism is flawed. As everything moves up, more and more people fit the bottom. And historically, it turns out very badly for those on top. So we have to look at it in a more sustainable way. Not only does this cause environmental damage, because it does. And it's not necessarily, because I know there's someone out there going, well, yeah, those poor people just throw their trash everywhere. No, they lose access to services. There is less fire. There is less police. There is less trash removal. All of those city services go there less. 
because it produces less tax, it produces less income, and it creates this negative feedback loop. And this is all over the United States. So it isn't that these people treat it worse, although they can, because there's also an education difference usually with between the areas, but you end up with contaminated water. Now, the lead thing, completely different. Let's face it, no one would have said, let's drink the Flint River's water. Not for anything less than 20 bucks. It was was notoriously contaminated. But that's what happens in those areas. You don't have that in, in in these nicer communities, these higher rent or richer communities. You don't have massively contaminated water sources. You don't have brown fields everywhere. These are things that happen in these other environments well more because of those lack of services. Well, yeah, but I I think that one of the things that bothers me the most about areas like that, and I've seen this a lot of times, is you'll see if you're if you're if you're a people watcher, which I, I tend to try not to be, but I, I can't help it sometimes. When you're driving through those areas, people tend to and I'm not actually blaming the people that live there, but the people that don't live there that just drive through them tend to treat them worse, tend to be more dismissive. They throw the garbage, the pop cans out the windows, cigarettes out the windows and stuff like that. Does that happen everywhere? Yes, I'm sure to some degree it does happen everywhere, but it seems to be that when you get there, it's like, oh, well, this is a shithole anyway, so we're just going to keep going on. I know, I know what I said. Just bear you with me. Again. I did, I did, I know. Um <laughs> Up but Mark, this is not for children. I know. Well, there was the monetization. But um, <laughs> I just think that uh, it, it's it's sad that people like have that mentality of it. And and to be honest, I've been like that in different different areas of my life. Like you even stupid things like you have you and your wife have two vehicles, one really nice brand new one and one beater that you drive place to place. And so like you notice that you're you're more anal and more and more more uh, strict with your rules and, and the brand new one like don't eat the back seat you know if we get fast food wait till we get home and then you when you're riding the beater you're like yeah throw it on the floor it's 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 the same exact mentality but just in a much bigger scale and i know it probably sounds like i'm reaching for that but it is you take care of something that's nice and you could care less about something that's not well if you don't care about it it'll never be nice infrastructure means caring about it. Putting money into it means caring about it. And I understand that uh, on paper, financially, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because infrastructure is funded by taxes. You know, if people live there, there's no tax base, blah, 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 blah. It It's hard. It's hard to say, hey, you know, we're going to have to invest in our community, but you have to. You have to bring them up. If you want businesses to come in and invest, you want people to move there, you want the community to not be what it is, you have to in terms of leadership, step forward and put some money into it. And it, it sucks that every time we're like sustainability. And then we're like, it comes back to money. But as far as other people making it work with them, making them see our point, it's going to come back to money every time. And it sucks, yeah. but it's true. Well, and like, I, I, like I've always said, if you're doing sustainability correctly, it's cheaper. And if you integrate society and shrink the sprawl, then you have services for all. So if you're not spread out over, I know you like that. Here's Just a, everybody knows he couldn't help but laugh when I said that, like uh, it was some kind of slogan. My, but, my, my, my poet brother. <laughs> but it's, and by the way, that was by accident. You have to shrink the footprint of these cities that at one point we thought it was good to spread out. Well, it's not up, not out. And then as everybody's integrated, your services footprint can be much smaller and you, and be more effective. And 
so when it comes to sustainability, when we talk about this stuff, doing it correctly is always cheaper, always. So it's not just the environmental side. And by the way, poverty causes environmental tragedies, but it also costs, causes health benefits to the people, or I'm sorry, health uh, issues with the people who are there. There are all kinds of issues with individuals who live in impoverished areas. It is usually less safe housing. If you drive through the Flint area, there's plenty of houses that are condemned and people are still living in them. You have usually very bad air quality because that's where all the plants are. That's where all this, anything that you don't want in, the, in your backyard is in these impoverished areas. So you've got quite often an un, unchecked water drainage, unchecked dumping poor air quality, unchecked emissions. And if they are checked, not nearly as much as the ones in the nicer areas. Poor sanitation, which causes more spread, even more disease spread, because it's not managed as well in most places, there as it is in most places. That's where a lot of polluted water happens. There's a lack of health services in comparison to other areas. There's generally food deserts. There's all these health detriments that stack on top of those environmental issues that also affect the people in poverty. And again, I'm talking about long-term solutions, long-term sustainability. You cannot have long-term when everything in your environment is damaged and everything in your environment is hindering your long-term chances of living. Well, absolutely that, but also something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up and I, I have to say this very carefully. There is a pull themselves up by the bootstraps mentality with people that think that oh well they live there they can do it. But like people don't comprehend that when you're when your main focus every single day is to get to the next day. That's that's your goal. You get up. You got you got to survive. Whether that means hustling twenty five thirty dollars to feed your family. Whether that means you know going to work working a ten hour shift. It, to support your family of five, whatever. If your main focus is surviving to the next day, it is impossible to assume someone can just stop what they're doing and change their entire way of thinking to move forward. Now, I say that because, and I'm not saying that there would be no options in a perfect world where people are completely unrestrained from stress and the difficulties of daily life. Yeah, there's lots of options out there to earn extra money and to do different things and, and to make little little improvements in your home and your area. Yeah, of course there are. But if you're working a 12-hour day, just to come home by yourself and try to feed your, your kids or you got to be responsible for taking care of a loved one and stuff, like, do you really have time? I mean, honestly, I'm not, I'm not trying to you know make excuses, but do you really have time to to stop and plan out your next 10 years. A lot of people don't. And it, it's, it's a, it's, it's a big failure on, on most of society because most of that is they've been beaten down for so long doing anything they, they can to survive. They no longer believe there's anything better. So they do need help. They need someone to give them a hand and show them that doesn't the rest of their life doesn't have to be like that. Right. It's, it and before I go to before I switch us over to more of a macro scale, I kind of want to give a, an example because th those examples are challenging when we have such large disparities in our class differences. But I think a good example of how hard it is for someone working three jobs 
and working 12 or more hours a day just to get the bare minimum basics of life is even in my in my world okay i hear a lot of the times from people i'm going to i'm going to say my class or however you want to say it but in our friendship circle whatever that schools need to teach how to balance a checkbook schools need to teach kids how to how to cook schools need to teach kids these these general basic skills that we believe they should have. And then I remind everybody, that's our job as parents. Schools teach math, science, history, all the things that need to be taught so they can go to college and build off that base. Those other things are ours. And I've heard more often than that, well, I work 10 hours. I don't have time. The school has all the time in the world. But that's what a, that's the point you were making. Even, at the ne- even in a different class of individuals, we're still working far too many hours to even, in a sense, parent our children at times with some of the more basic things that were passed down generation to generation. And we try to make other entities or schools or whoever do it for us. It's kind of equivalent. If we don't have time to teach the kids how to cook, do you really think that these individuals who need it for survival, every minute they're working is for their survival, are going to have time to sit down and work on finances for the next 10 years? But, the, but that's the exactly right, though, and it, because to be honest, that situation is the exact same. So people will look at if you take a snapshot of some of our friends and take a snapshot of like just some random people in a impoverished area and they look so different, but they're not. So the person in the impoverished, impoverished area probably has a home that is probably should have been condemned. They're probably paying four fifty to five hundred dollars a month to rent that plus their power bill, plus everything else that they pay cash because they have no they have no credit. They have no bank account most likely like they've never been able or taught or shown by someone how to do things in a better way but then you look at our friends and they're still hustling the same way their rent is probably eleven hundred dollars a month or it's eight hundred dollars a month and maybe that person in the bad area makes twelve dollars an hour well okay maybe one of our friends makes $18 an hour. Like it seems like it's a lot of money, but it doesn't really matter how much you make if your bills are that much more. I think they said, and I'm going to try, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember exactly. And if I get it wrong, I apologize. Feel free to put it in the notes. So or in the comments, the reality that half of America is $500 or one check away from disaster. I'm not surprised. They lose one check. I fall in that category. That, that more than 60% of the United States have less than $1,000 in their savings. So one issue, one uh, failure, one firing, whatever it happens to be, the reason why some segments do better than other segments is we have quite often safety nets, parents who are financially capable of bailing us out when our car is on fire on the side of the expressway. We have different tools to help us continue to move forward where usually large impoverished areas do not because the same person who would be helping them is next to them into the same tragedy. And that is the that is something that has to be fixed for long-term sustainability in the United States, long-term sustainability on the planet. We cannot have large segments of people without these safety nets. When we look at the macro scale, we start looking at the whole planet, things that poverty causes. First of all, you cannot have a long-term sustainable society with massive social injustices. All that does is create more division. 
all that does is create animosity. All it does is take whole groups of people and imprisons them. It creates a internal propaganda war between large groups of humans. You cannot have massive and open injustices for segments of society and expect a long-term sustainable society. It just leads to riots, unrest, all these things that are just not going to fly. Separating people like we've talked about, you know, the over the tracks or this area or that area generally leads to high crime areas. When you don't have services or options, crime is not something that happens because it's entertaining. Crime is something that generally spurs from necessity and and or lack of education. There is a there is a segment there that is lack of education, but you cannot again have a long-term sustainable society when we don't offer the same services to all places. And then we end up with these high crime areas. Because honestly, what it does is just create more division. People in, in, in you know, area A say people in area B have high crime because they're bad people. All those social divisions. If you have social divisions, we are not working towards sustainability in, in society. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that even leads to war. It leads to gen generational poverty. It leads to all of these things, a generational lack of education when they pull money out of a system because they say it's based on property value and then blame you for your property value. It isn't going to fly. It isn't. That is not how we end up with long-term sustainability as a human race. So these are some of the things that you look at from the large scale that isn't just U.S. It just happens to fit U.S. also. No, of course, it, that's that's something that people don't don't stop and think about. Like we like to think we're special and that our good things that are bad things are ours. But man, people are people, and civilization is the same everywhere. Are there little things that make it different? Yeah, absolutely. But for the most part, if we're struggling, so are the people in other areas too. It's not mm -hmm. it's not like it's any different over in the UK or any anywhere else. It's the fact of the matter is poverty is poverty, and no matter what where you're from, what you value your 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 dollars based on whether it's the u.s dollar or it's the ruble or you know it's the pound it doesn't matter what it's what it's based on in fact the matter is if you don't make enough to take care of the basic necessities in your in your family and your community and there's no way to get help then that has to change ultimately and i'm going to say this because we, we hadn't really talked about it potable water is the single most important thing and there's places that don't even have potable water okay, and clean air Clean air, potable water are the very minimum uh, if, that need to go with the second one, which is or the next one, which is shelter. You can we... clean air with potable water, Michael. <laughs> well, so th that is these these are the very bare minimums, and we don't have that. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, no matter what anyone says, no matter who you talk, who trolls on the internet, whoever it is, I prefer my trolls under the bridge, but okay. If you have extreme poverty at any level. It destabilizes governments. Yeah, de of course it does. It destabilizes society. Yeah, because the people that are at the bottom getting stepped on are getting sick of it. Like mm -hmm. it's it that's not and that's not unique to to you know our democratic republic. I mean, you see that you you can look at you know history and see countless of countless examples of, of monarchy monarchies and dictatorships where that happened mm -hmm. when the top gets too heavy, the legs give out or they get sick of carrying it, whatever, however, 
whatever ridiculous analogy people want to put on it, if you step out enough people, eventually you're going to get in trouble. I'm going to make a distinction between poverty and economy here in the United States before we slow, you know, work towards our wrap up here. The top eight states for poverty are number eight, Oklahoma at just under 15%. Number seven, Alabama at just under 16%. Uh, number six is Arkansas, just over 16%. Kentucky, just about 16.5%. West Virginia is almost 17.5%. New Mexico, 18.5%. Louisiana, creeping up on 19%. And number one is Mississippi, at nearly 20% of the population is below the poverty line. Now, in the United States, the poverty line for a single household is 13500 For a two-person household is a $18,310, and three people is $23,030. So those are the top eight highest poverty levels. Now, let's go to the economy and say, who has the weakest economy in the United States? There is some variance here. Number, the 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 uh, 42nd state is Wyoming, 43rd, Mississippi. We've heard that one. 44 is Maine. 45 is Nevada. But this is where it starts to get interesting. We're getting to the very bottom of our economy in the United States. 46 is Kentucky. 47 is Oklahoma. I did expect this one to slide in here. 40, 48 was Alaska. But I think economy-wise, they don't have nearly the facilities as most states. Then goes Louisiana then West Virginia, and then Hawaii. But again, Hawaii, kind of like Alaska, doesn't have the mainland stability and strength for economy, nor do they really have the drive in Hawaii. They're more relaxed there. But so out of your states, a large chunk, Mississippi, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Louisiana, West Virginia, also rank in the highest poverty. So this whole concept of pulling people out of poverty only hurts the economy. I think is starting to look a little wrong because the same states, a lot of, not all, a lot of the same states with the highest poverty have the weakest economy. Well, yeah. And that's, I'm not surprised at all because I just said it time and time again to fix this on paper will take money. It takes time. It takes investment in, in your fellow man and your community. And it, there's no other way to really look at it. I mean, it, unless we find a way to make these problems disappear overnight without a huge financial investment in, in those communities to fix it, or at least help push it in the right direction, then that, that number, those numbers are still going to be the same. Well, I've always said that I understand that congressmen end up in Washington, D.C. on most of their time and not back in their home state, but maybe their income should be based on the average income of the people they represent. Or, <laughs> here we go, or there shouldn't be an income. Government employees shouldn't get paid. They should be considered the volunteer. Like they, they should have to. People, I sound like I'm, I'm ludicrous when I say this, but people should have to. You have to. You have to sign up or register for the draft when you turn 18. Legal to vote. Blah 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 blah. You should have to do the same thing for government. You should say, hey, you know, you're willing to give this many years to serve in your government, and there shouldn't be paid positions. Flat out should not be paid. We shouldn't have. There's no reason why any government official should be making six figures a year. If I don't even think the president should be paid. None of them. Why? Well, why? Are, why? Why do they get to vote to give themselves pay raises? <laughs> they don't actually do anything. 
which is why I like using the average of where they represent. Because I do believe, and we'll move on here because this could be its own show, that you do have to have pay or you only end up with rich people in those positions. Uh, you and I could not take those positions if they because you function more full-time during them with the amount of savings that we have. So you would want the pay, but I believe that pay should be the average of who they represent. Well, I think there's plenty of reform that can go around. Now, I think most people know that there are global sustainability development goals out there that the, that the world, that the UN has decided on. And before I close this show, I want to let everybody know that the number one goal in those 25 is no poverty. That is how important poverty is to sustainability. That is the number one goal that the UN has identified in creating a sustainable world. So that's all we had this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I hope that it doesn't always sound like I'm reading something at this point because I do look at my notes. But we do appreciate you spending your day with us and just kind of listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with a friend or on social media. If you want to help realistic sustainability, follow us. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Click a like, click the follow, leave a note, say something on there. It does help. The more activity, the better it gets for us. Or do my favorite, leave that five-star review. I love reading them. And they say there, it helps people maybe decide to give us a listen. Last, if you feel like this show brings a lot of value to your life and you want to help us monetarily, you can do that on either the anchor.fm site where you just search realistic sustainability or going to my website, greeningyourlife.org forward slash podcast. You could uh, leave a one-time donation or sign up for monthly. 99 cents is the minimum. So under $12 a month, you could really show your support here. And we do agree. We do appreciate each and every person who does that. And remember, we only get together each week so that we can get a little bit better. Little bit, little bit, big bit. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And I will see you next week. What's going on, everybody? My name is Rob, and I'm the host of The Curated Culture, a weekly podcast dedicated to dissecting the latest and greatest news from around the world of tech and pop culture. Now, we all know the internet can be a busy, noisy place, so let us calm that noise for you. Join us as we discuss the latest and greatest topics from the people and sources that matter most. Check us out every Thursday as we jump into fresh, original content, new interviews, and a host of other subjects that we know you'll find interesting. So jump in whatever your favorite podcast app is and search The Curated Culture. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And in the meantime, we'll catch y'all on the air.